Good morning. There's a, a stanza that we sang in that hymn. I wonder if that really sank into you. Um, we, we sang, uh, turn your eyes to the hillside, to Calvary, where Jesus died, uh, where justice and mercy embrace. Did you catch that? And that uh, is a reflection of what we, what we read in Psalm 85, where the psalmist wrote, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet, righteousness and peace kiss each other. It's so beautiful. That's the gospel. Amen. In the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're told that the righteousness of God was revealed. And in his death, but also in his resurrection, we're told that God is both the just and, he, he is both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so righteousness, justice was accomplished. No sin was uh, unpunished or just swept under the rug, but all of that was in behalf of people who need God's mercy. We don't deserve any good thing from God. It's righteousness and mercy meeting. It's justice and mercy embracing. It's a beautiful picture. Well, let's look together in Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing on in our studies through Matthew's gospel. We've been on the Sermon on the Mount for a while. And today we're going to be studying verses 19 through 24. Let's read the passage. Jesus said, Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. What do you think of when you hear the word treasure? Treasure is mentioned three times in this passage. Treasure, just in our everyday experience, refers to that which is valuable to us, that which we believe makes us rich, that which we believe will bring us ultimate happiness. That's our treasure. And to most people, Frankly, it reduces 
to dollar signs. But everyone pursues some kind of treasure. We're a treasure-motivated people, if you think about it. The, the question is not, do you have treasure or are you pursuing treasure? The real question is, what treasure are you pursuing? And will it last? Will it stand the test of time? Will it ultimately bring you the kind of fulfillment that you think that it will, that you're trusting it will? That's really the point here of this passage. Uh, it's kind of penetrating. We've uh, been experienced to that. We've been exposed to that already from Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he's gotten kind of personal with us. He's talked to us about lust in the heart. He's talked to us about anger and therefore murder in the heart. Jesus has already been dealing with us in terms of our religious hypocrisy, being charitable in order to look good, praying and fasting in order to look good before people and not being mindful of what pleases God. So Jesus has already been pretty personal with us. It's been convicting, I hope. And he's going to continue in that vein now. This is very personal. Treasure in heaven. And because it's personal and it's convicting, it's challenging, we're going to look at the passage through three questions. Questions that I believe Jesus is asking us through these words. Questions that are personal and challenging. And the first question is, where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? So notice again, verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And then Jesus goes on to mention um, different forms of treasure that people in the ancient world would have been familiar with. These would have been typical treasures. Um, extravagant, expensive clothing, for example. And also coins. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where, where moth and rust destroy, and so obviously moths could eat uh, clothing, expensive fabric. Some fabric, I understand, in the ancient world could have had gold thread interwoven in it. And he mentions rust destroying. Their, their coinage was not as... Uh, impervious to rust as modern-day coins are, they were subject to decay, even the physical coins were. But whether we're talking clothing, fabric, or coins, hard currency, all of it, all forms of wealth are subject to robbery. 
where thieves break in and steal. And obviously, we're subject to robbery in our own day and age. Uh, Think about the robbery of inflation that is eating away at the value of our money. And so, whatever kind of example you want to use to illustrate this point, the point that Jesus is making is that whatever kind of earthly treasure you can think of, whatever kind of earthly wealth you're accumulating for yourself, it all has in common with each other that it does not last. It's not eternal. It will not follow you into heaven. We, we read about that from 1 Timothy chapter 6 that Kevin read earlier in verse 7. He read, For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. The richest person In the world today, when that person dies, they die with exactly the same amount of material wealth that they came into the world with. None. Zero. And that's what Jesus is trying to impress on us. So instead of laying up or treasuring for ourselves treasures on earth, He says in verse 20, instead, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And Jesus doesn't define here what those treasures in heaven are. But there's there's a hint throughout the rest of the Sermon on the Mount. So for example, Holiness of character. Think about the Beatitudes. That is what pleases God. That is what we should be pursuing. Holiness of character. Generosity for God's glory. That's in the context. Obedience to God's commandments from the heart. Sincere devotion to God. These are things of value that Jesus speaks of in the Sermon on the Mount that equates to treasure in heaven, what we should be devoting ourselves to, what we should be committing our resources to. And he gives, he gives us, Jesus does, a really interesting, vivid illustration to, to make this point in, an, in another place. Turn with me here. Keep your finger in Matthew chapter 6 and turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And notice verses 15 through 21. The parable of the rich fool. So Jesus said to them on that occasion, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And for Jesus, 
That's really what covetousness is. Covetousness, strictly speaking, is uh, an inordinate desire for that which doesn't belong to you. But here in the parable of the rich fool, Jesus is basically equating covetousness with materialism. Materialism is the belief that your life does, in fact, consist in the abundance of your possessions. And so that the happiest person, the most fulfilled person, is the one with the greatest net worth, the, the greatest abundance of things. That's the attitude of materialism. And so Jesus gives this parable of the rich fool to expose the foolishness, the emptiness of that kind of thinking. So in verse 16, he told them this parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And this rich man thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And this continues into this present day. Lots of rich people spend a lot of time and energy thinking how to manage their riches, how to protect them, how to grow them so that they produce more riches. This particular rich man in the, in the parable is very emblematic of rich people in all ages. Their riches consume them. And so he goes on in his self-reflection here. What shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I have an idea. I have a solution. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. And maybe a modern day rich man like this would say, I've got cryptocurrency, I've got stocks and bonds, I've got real estate, I've got living trusts, I have foundations that will carry on my name. Bigger barns, things that will last many years. But what did this rich man neglect? What did he forget? What did he not take into account? Eventually, time is up. So that's what Jesus says next in the parable. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? And now here's the moral to the story. The lesson of the parable in verse 21. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 6. 
treasures in heaven are the accumulation of our riches toward God, the, the fruit of our relationship with God. All that we are and all that we have that is focused on knowing God and pleasing God and serving God, expanding God's kingdom. But for the one who simply treasures up treasure for himself on earth is a fool. That's what Jesus said. So a vivid illustration here of what Jesus is saying in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 21. So back there to Matthew chapter 6. You can boil all this down to the treasure principle. And that's a book that Randy Alcorn has written. He, remember, he wrote the book on heaven and 50 days in heaven. He also wrote a book called The Treasure Principle. And in that book... Randy Alcorn wrote this. When Jesus warns us not to store up treasures on earth, it's not just because wealth might be lost. It's because wealth will always be lost. Either it leaves us while we live, moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, or we leave it when we die, we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. No exceptions, Randy Alcorn says. Realizing its value is temporary should radically affect our investment strategy. According to Jesus, storing up earthly treasures isn't simply wrong, it's just plain stupid. So wrote Randy Alcorn. When it boils down to it, it's a matter of where our heart is. And that's what Jesus says in verse 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And it's a two-way street. Because our heart is attracted to our treasure. And so if our treasure is on earth, our heart is going to be drawn out to that. If our treasure is in heaven, we're going to be drawn out to that. And that's why we're told, for example, um, to set our sight, our eyes, on things in heaven where Jesus is. And I said it's a two-way street. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if your heart is in heaven... Your heart will be in accumulating treasures in heaven and not on earth. It will affect our investment strategy, to use the language of, of Randy Alcorn. So, once again, where's your treasure? That's what Jesus is asking each one of us this morning. Here's a second question. Do you see the light of Christ? Do you see the light of Christ? And really, that's the question 
that comes from verses 22 and 23. Jesus said in verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. This is a metaphor. This isn't supposed to be medical advice. But physically, our eyes enable our bodies to interact with light in the visible world. We go towards food. We go towards shelter. We go wherever we go in life because of light entering us through our eyes. If our eyes don't work, then our bodies have no way to interact with light in our environment. We go dark with our eyes. Spiritually, a good eye represents seeing the value of laying up treasures in heaven and therefore our whole lives being led in that direction. A bad eye represents spiritual darkness, blindness. With respect to the value of eternal treasure and therefore our whole lives being led in the pursuit of that which cannot last forever. So Jesus is warning his followers, like us, to have a single eye for laying up treasures in heaven. That's the warning. But I'm going a little bit deeper than that, as you can tell. Do you see the light of Christ? I, I could just say, okay, go and have a better view of eternity. Have better light in your soul so that you'll lay up treasures in heaven and not on the earth. But the Bible says a lot more than that. Jesus himself said more than that. For example, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And then look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So think about this metaphor, this whole spiritual lesson that Jesus is teaching us uh, in Matthew 6, verses 19 through 24, uh, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And look with me starting in verse 3. Here's the Apostle Paul writing. And he said, Even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled only to those who are perishing. What does that mean? It means they don't see it. That's what a veil does. It keeps the person whose eyes are veiled from seeing through that veil. And so Paul is saying the gospel is veiled. Not to everyone, but to those who who are perishing. And then he elaborates on that in verse 4. In their case, the God of this world, the devil, God, little g, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers 
to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of God, who is uh, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Some of the same imagery is being used here as Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 6. There's light and there's darkness, there's blindness and there's seeing. In Matthew chapter 6, he's talking about seeing true value, true treasure. Here he's talking about seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And let me suggest to you that these are not two separate things. They're the same thing. Jesus is our ultimate treasure. Jesus is our ultimate reward. And Paul's going to go on and say that as well in this chapter. This is what God did for us in verses 5 and 6. If you think about it, verses 3 and 4 is our natural spiritual condition. We're naturally blind to the things of God. We're naturally blind to the kingdom of grace. We're naturally blind to the value of the kingdom of heaven. We're blind to all of that, blind to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. But notice what God does for us. So starting in verse 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake, that the message is all about Jesus. It's not about anyone else. It's not about anything else. It's Jesus and him crucified. Verse 6, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, in Genesis chapter 1, let there be light. That God has shown in our hearts so we hear the message of Jesus, but we, like everybody else, there's a veil over our eyes. We don't see it. We're blind to it until God intervenes and he says, let there be light. And when God does that, he shines in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Amen. And we not only see Jesus and the gospel, but now all of a sudden our valuation system is completely reoriented. Now instead of being earthbound and earthblind with respect to true value and treasure, now we see that life on this earth doesn't last forever. Now we see that treasure in this life, in this world, will not last. Now we see that true, eternal, lasting treasure is that which is stored in heaven. And now we see that our ultimate treasure is Jesus Christ himself. Not just what Jesus gives us. Not Jesus' 
not just what Jesus does for us, as valuable as that is, but Jesus himself. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus opens our eyes. So that's the second question. Do you see the light of Christ? Do you? Is Jesus your all in all? Have you seen the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ so that that affects your life? It affects what you think is valuable? It affects your treasure? The next question is, who is your master? Who is your master? Jesus said in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. That's the thing about slavery. It's the thing about a master-slave relationship. A slave can only have two masters. And that was a very familiar institution in the first century Roman Empire. It was a very familiar institution in the mind of the Jews because of their uh, centuries in captivity in Egypt when they were slaves. So it's a truth. It's a commonsensical statement. No one can serve two masters. Well, what is Jesus talking about specifically? The end of verse 24. You cannot. Let that sink in. You cannot. Try as you might. Think that you can. Try your level best to do this. Jesus says, you cannot serve God and money. Serve is the key word. Because that's what a slave does for a master. A slave serves his or her master. That implies obedience, for sure. It implies devotion. It implies commitment. Only God deserves to be served as our ultimate master. We saw that earlier this morning in the adult Sunday school class. In fact, uh, Jesus repeats this truth from the Old Testament in his temptation in Matthew chapter 4, where he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, verse 10. Jesus says to the devil, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, 
You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. God is not on par with anyone else. God is our Lord, our master, the the supreme being, king of kings and lord of lords, the only potentate. No one is comparable to God. And so he will not be shared. He's a jealous God. And God's jealousy is a holy jealousy. It makes sense for God to be jealous. If God was not jealous, it would be unrighteous. God will not share his glory with another. But this is what we do in our fallenness, in our sinfulness. Our hearts are idol factories. And so what we do is we take good things from God, gifts from God, which may not in and of themselves be bad, but we turn them into ultimate things. We turn them into gods themselves. We turn them into idols, and we worship and serve those things. Wealth, money, riches, treasure, earthly treasure, actually are not in and of themselves, evil. They're not sinful. Christians are not called to live a life of poverty. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 that Kevin read earlier, rich Christians were not called by the Apostle Paul to divest themselves of their wealth. They were called to not be haughty, to be rich in good works, and to be generous, to share. And those of us who aren't rich, although, as I've mentioned before, in historical terms, and even in terms of the however many people are on earth today, what are we up to, six and a half billion or so? We are rich. We, we really are. But still, let's say we're not rich. And we want to grow our bank account. We want to expand our investment portfolio. We want our retirement account to be more robust. That's not necessarily wrong because the Bible says things like, the hands of the diligent will make one rich. And it says things like, um, the, the one, the, the man who does not provide for his own household is worse than an unbeliever. And it says things like the, the righteous will leave an inheritance for his children's children, and on and on and on. Money and the pursuit of money is not inherently evil. What's evil is, what Paul pointed out, the love of money from 1 Timothy chapter 6, the treasuring of money, the thought in the soul that money, that wealth is the main thing, our pursuit. Money is what we're devoted to. 
The pursuit of money is what we're obeying. The pursuit of money is what we're committed to. That is when money is our God. And that is what is forbidden by Jesus. You cannot serve God and money. Don't serve money. But think about money as a stewardship. Something, a gift from God that's entrusted to you from God to be used and invested for his honor and glory. And even still, that doesn't mean give it all away. Because in 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul told wealthy Christians that God gives us all things richly to enjoy. It, it's okay to enjoy the good gift from God, your wealth, that God has given you. But don't serve it. Don't put your trust in it. Don't devote your whole being to it. John Wesley put it this way. Make as much money as you can. Save as much money as you can. Give as much money as you can. But don't Serve money as your master. So who is your master? And there's actually an objective way to answer that question. Where do you spend your money? What do you do with your earthly treasure? That is at least a very strong empirical evidence, indicator of who is your master. Finally, what did Jesus do? We need to remember always that Jesus is not just our teacher, our um, prophet with a capital P, we, we don't just want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, obey Jesus' commands, although we should, but that's not even the main point. The main point of the gospel is Jesus himself. And so it's really good to reflect on what Jesus did for us in this particular area and the first thing I would point out is that Jesus makes us right in God's sight in every respect. Jesus saves us, believers, to the uttermost, even in this particular area. And he does this through what we call the, the great exchange. We get the righteousness of Jesus, the, the merit, the holiness, the obedience of Jesus, that is imputed to us, credited to our account. And on the other side of the ledger, Jesus takes all of our debts, 
Our sins are laid on him. That's the great exchange. And so think about Jesus' obedience in this very area. He said things like, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. And he prayed to his father, I glorified you on earth. And so Jesus perfectly fulfilled this teaching of his. Jesus laid up treasures in heaven and there was no fault on his part, no corruption in terms of laying up treasures on earth. And we get the credit for his righteousness. And he died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. And so you don't need to leave here down and depressed. Just turn to Jesus. And Jesus will make you right in God's sight in every respect, even in this area. Jesus will save you. But then also think about this. Jesus opens our eyes to see, the, to see God's kingdom and its value. We've seen that earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. But here's another example in Acts chapter 26 when Paul uh, shared his testimony before King Agrippa. And uh, Paul uh, shared how Jesus said that he was calling Paul to preach Christ to the Gentiles. And this is what Jesus said. To open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus did for me. This is what Jesus has done for you if you're a believer. And this is what Jesus can do for you today as well if you're an unbeliever. Jesus gives light and sight to the blind. And then finally, Jesus himself is our greatest treasure. I mentioned this earlier, but listen to some of these passages just from Colossians. Colossians 1 and verse 19 for in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Colossians chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Paul prayed that believers like us would reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Lots of people want to know lots of things about the past and about the future and about how things work. And that's not wrong, but that's not ultimate knowledge. Ultimate knowledge is Christ himself. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge because Jesus himself is our ultimate treasure. Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, 
and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Colossians 3 and verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. He's worthy. He's worthy of himself being our greatest treasure. In that well-known hymn, Be Thou My Vision, in one of the stanzas we sing, Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise, Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only be first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Lord, your word exposes our sin and convicts us with the power of the Holy Spirit. And we do want to confess to you, Lord, that every one of us to some degree is definitely guilty of laying up treasures on earth. Would you forgive us? Would you cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Thank you, Jesus, that you, made, you did everything necessary for us to be reconciled to God in all areas, including this one. Would you use these words to draw lost sinners to yourself today? Would you do what you promised that the gospel would do, that it would open blind eyes and lead many to God? Do that, we pray, that you might be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.